The University of Auburn has a long and storied tradition. Every time they host a home football game, students and faculty and alumni and fans gather together in a special part of their campus called Toomer's Corner. One of the staples of Toomer's Corner is two giant oak trees that go sprawling into the sky. And two hours before kickoff, you'll see those people I mentioned before all streaming to Toomer's Corner with their supplies in their arms, eager and, and ready and waiting to carry out a storied tradition called the rolling of the oaks. Now, if you know anything about oak trees, you know that they are the epitome of strength. You know that you're not pushing or displacing or rolling an oak tree, but that's where the supplies come in. Because those supplies are roll after roll after roll of toilet paper. Part of their festivity, part of their celebration is to throw these rolls of toilet paper up into the branches and then they come rolling down in banners of white school pride. The beginning of a celebration that they hope ends later that night in a victory celebration. They've been rolling the oaks in Toomer's Corner for a long, long time. Maybe one of the only things there that stands longer than that tradition is those oak trees themselves. They were there in Toomer's Corner for 130 years. And maybe you noticed the verb I used in the last sentence. Were. Those oak trees stood there as a symbol of Auburn pride, stood there as a staple of Toomer's Corner until 2011, when a man by the name of Harvey Updike, a fan of a rival team, came onto the campus and sprayed harmful chemicals onto the trees. Of course, this was devastating to those trees, but devastating just the same to the fans who call Auburn their team. They held a late night vigil for weeks after the event. Word spread quickly throughout the campus. They had fundraisers. They would put pom-poms and wreaths at the base of the trees. There are pictures of students wailing, sobbing over these trees. Now I'm not here today to tell you whether it's normal human behavior to cry about a tree. And I'm not here to make a commentary on that scenario, but I'm here to tell you that that wasn't the first time that there were tears shed over the loss of a tree. Isaiah ministered to God's people, God's people who God himself described as a great oak tree, a throwback to their periods of power and prominence on the world stage, but also an allusion to what was coming in their future. God told Isaiah on the day that he became a pastor that he would be ministering to a sick and dying tree, and that he would have the remedy. He had the power in his hands and in his message to turn that sickness around, to turn them back into the thriving tree that they once were, but they wouldn't listen.
sounds like kind of a hopeless message. It's there in Isaiah chapter 6 that God tells Isaiah how his message will be received. He says, they will be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. And though that seems to be a bleak and dire message, though that seems to be a a message that is deplete of all hope, not at all. In fact, hope is the message that Isaiah came to bring. He brings it to the people who heard him so many years ago, and he brings it to us today. He teaches us that when God is in the picture, there's no such thing as hopeless. In fact, it's our God who brings an unlikely hope. And that unlikely hope brings unending peace. God tells Isaiah how his message is going to be received, how the people are going to respond when he preaches. They're going to be hearing but never understanding, seeing but never perceiving. And then Isaiah asks a question that you would probably ask if God said that to you. How long, Lord? How long is this going to be the case? How long is this feudal ministry going to go on? Listen to God's answer. God says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be a stump in the land. That sounds like bad news, doesn't it? Bad news for Isaiah, bad news for Isaiah's people, bad news all around. And that's just looking at the words themselves. Consider the words in their context. Consider the context of the other promises that God had already made to them. God told them that his son would come and and reign on David's throne. God told them, that the anointed one would come and and stand in his holy temple and proclaim a message of peace from there to his people and to the world. But David's line was drying up and the temple was about to be destroyed. The Davidic kings were losing power one after another, until Zedekiah took the throne, and he was the one from whom the power was seized, and he himself was carried off into captivity along with his people. The temple would soon lie in ruins, a foreign nation. The Babylonians had come in and taken every article of value, stripped and plundered God's house, and then torched it on the way out. City walls were toppled under the direct command of the new king in charge, King Nebuchadnezzar. So what now? How could these words come true? How could those people have hope? They were once a thriving oak tree. 
But now they see Isaiah's words coming true right before their eyes. They know they are about to meet their end. They are about to be chopped down. They are about to be left a stump. And they had no one to blame but themselves. They were the ones who chose to chase after the gods that were worshipped by the nations around them. They were the ones who wanted to be like those other nations instead of doing the things the way that God wanted them to do them. They were the ones who selfishly chose the easy route instead of the way that God's law prescribed. They were the ones that allowed worship to turn into hollow ritual. They were the ones who were steeped in unbelief. They were the ones who rejected the God of the promise. It was them. No one to blame but themselves. And today, my friends, let me join you in thanking God. In thanking God that we live 2,600 years after the events of this account. Because that list of sins, that's your sin and that's mine. We're no different. Our lives are no different. The only difference is 2,600 years. It could just as easily have been us. We often put our hope and our confidence in created things instead of the creator. Putting our trust in the financial resources we have hold away, the number of zeros in our bank account, the fact that we're citizens of a powerful nation, when any of those things start to waver, we become different people. We are the ones who come up with every excuse in the book to do things our way instead of doing it God's way. Our hearts are the ones that churn out new idols every day, new things to follow, new things to worship, new things to capture our attention. That's us. We're the ones that turn worship into just going through the motions, who recite our prayers because that's what we're supposed to do, because that's what mom told us. That's us. That's our sin. And because that's our sin, we deserve the same punishment as Isaiah and his people. We deserve to have the promises of God rescinded. We deserve to be removed from his presence Forever, we deserve to be cut off and left like a stump. But it's two stumps like Judah and stumps like you and, and like me that Isaiah and God through him speaks these words of hope. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Unlikely hope springs forth from a dead stump. Four dead stumps like you 
and like me. God's chosen one becomes the shoot. The shoot that comes life, comes in life from a place of death. The branch that comes and bears living fruit, that branch has become for us the tree of life. Our connection to him is our life source and our assurance of everlasting life. An unlikely hope. Isaiah tells us more about what the Messiah would be. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. From an unlikely place and unlikely and undeserving people comes God's love. From a virgin's womb. From a little town called Bethlehem. Raised in an insignificant place, Nazareth. From tiny Israel came the one who would be the ruler of the earth and the heavens. Born in a barn was the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. In human flesh came the incarnate God to be the savior of sinners like us. From an unlikely place and to unlikely and undeserving sinners comes a savior. A savior who came to fight our battles. A savior who came to win a war that we were powerless to win. Jesus came, bursting forth in life so that we could have life and have it to the full. Jesus came and waged that war. Righteousness and faithfulness were his weapons. He came and lived a perfect life in our place so that we could be forgiven our imperfections. He lived a totally and 100% perfect life so that our failures could be wiped away, so that our misdeeds could be forgiven, so that our selfishness and unbelief would be a thing of the past, hurled into the depths of the sea. He came to wage war against our enemies because he knew we could never win. Isaiah tells us more about the power of the Prince of Peace. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. With his powerful word he destroyed our enemies. An unlikely word of victory came from an unlikely place from the cross of Calvary. There nailed to a a board of wood. There pinned to the instrument of his own death. He proclaims life to us. There in his death he deals a death blow. To the devil. With his final breath, he slays the most wicked of them all, fulfilling the promise, crushing his head. And then Jesus is at it again, bursting forth from a place of death as he rises in victory, your victory from the dead. He came to destroy the power of death and render it powerless to touch you or me. With the power of his word, he slays the wicked. With the merits of his perfect life, he fulfills God's holy law. With the glory of God made human flesh, he takes us from death to life.
And Jesus takes that victory that he had won and he places it in our hands and he takes that righteousness that he has earned and he robes us in it. Now we are the righteousness of God. Now we are fit to stand in the presence of holiness and to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Connected to Jesus and powered by his love. Now we can do what he will do. We know that we one day will burst forth from our place of death, shooting forth into life with a glorified body and a perfect harmony with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There he will take us to live with him forever. Not because of what we have done, but because of his merits and love. From an unlikely place, unlikely hope brings unending peace. That's why Isaiah can say these words. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand into a viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. If you tried any of those unlikely companions, you'd be met with devastating results. You know that these things can't coexist. At least not if you don't want tragedy to ensue. But Isaiah tells us that this will be our reality. Not just an exaggeration. This isn't just hyperbole or or floofy talk. Notice where it is that these things will take place. On all my holy mountain, that's you. That's me. That's God's church. In God's church, in the place where Christ reigns on behalf of his people, things that can't happen outside of his church can and do happen. A bowl of water, seemingly insignificant yet connected to the promise of God, becomes the utmost insignificance. Those drops of water become a spring of life as a Joe Schmo pastor connects them to the promises of God. A tiny wafer and a few drops of wine. Not enough of a meal to quench even the tiniest of hungers or thirst. Yet connected to the promise of God, they become the source of salvation for all who believe. From an unlikely place comes unlikely hope. And that unlikely hope brings unending peace. 
here in God's church, cultures come together. It causes sinners to put down their weapons of war and to celebrate the peace that is ours, Jesus. He works a change in our hearts so that we no longer are living for ourselves, but rather we live for the good of those around us. Rather we live for the good of our new family, our new family of faith, the family of believers that God has made us to be. It's no longer about me, but rather about us. God changes our minds and our hearts and our attitude. He gives us what nothing else, what no one else can give. He gives us a real and a lasting peace. It's true that this church is not the perfect place. We still are stubborn sinners. We still will sin against one another and sin against God. It's true that this place is a hospital, but it's a hospital where we can together confess and together rejoice and together look to Jesus as our only source of healing and hope. Together we can strive to imitate God's love in the way that we interact with one another and in the way that we share a desire to take his love outside of these walls into the community around us. Here as a family of believers, here as a team, we can work together for the common good. Seeking to do what pleases God, seeking to bring him glory with our lives, seeking to share with those in our lives and those in our community what we have. That they too might experience unlikely hope. Because we know that unlikely hope brings everlasting peace. Our God wants to give us a peace in knowing that the battle has been won. The war against sin and the devil is over. That peace begins today in human hearts touched by the gospel and carries on beyond judgment day into life everlasting. A church triumphant. My friends, the king is coming. But we can rejoice in that day. This Advent season and throughout the church year, we can rejoice in knowing that the King is coming, in knowing that a better place lies in wait for us all. My friends, let's celebrate today and every day that unending, that unlikely hope brings unending peace. Amen.